Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and the other officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. 
Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But I spoke the truth. Why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. This is the word of the Lord. Please do take a seat. And let's pray as we come again to those words. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we study and contemplate your word, as we think about its deep truths, we pray that they would take root in our own lives to shape us and fashion us to make our minds think your thoughts after you and our lives express your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the late 90s AD. We are at a literary agency in downtown Ephesus. It's a North Mediterranean city in modern-day Turkey. And assembled, grateful to be out of the heat of the afternoon sun, are the director of the enterprise, Aristomachus, and his marketing associate, Alexander. And there is also an older man there who has the appearance of a writer. So, begins Aristomachus, Mr. John. Mr. John, uh, we've had a good look at your manuscript, and there's a great deal we like about it. Great drama, great storyline, symbolism, very powerful. First surprise, you're wanting to sell this in the biography section. We were thinking it might be a little bit more... Um, at home in the, in the fiction, no? It's true. I, I knew this man. I saw the events. Biography. Uh, okay, we'll stick with biography as you please. I just, 
We just do need to manage some expectations, you know. I mean, for all I know, you've come in here thinking that people are going to be reading this 2,000 years later in, you know, who knows how many hundreds of languages and all the rest of it. People do have overinflated ideas of how successful their manuscripts are going to be, you can imagine. Anyway, Mr. John, let's go to the text. Remind me of your purpose in writing. Well, I wrote it at the end. You did? Manuscript. Rustling of papers. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes, of course, yes. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his, his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yes, that's right. I have recorded all of this so that those who would hear this story over the many generations to come would put their trust in this same Jesus that I have come to believe in and that their lives will be transformed starting now and forever. Well, this is a very noble aim. Um, But look, if you really want people to believe your story, if you really want them to hang their lives on this Jesus figure, I'm afraid this manuscript cannot go out as it is. Um... I mean, basically, you've made every single marketing faux pas that you could possibly do in this, in this work. I mean, let's just start with this Peter character that you've written in here. I, I, I was talking with my associate, Alexander, about this earlier. And, I mean, we both feel the reputational risk of including Peter in your story is just utterly unacceptable. I mean, his story is just its a litany of failure, of selfishness, of duplicity. I mean, the guy is both incompetent and morally compromised. If this guy is your linchpin, he is your linchpin. Well, well, they call him the rock on which the church is founded. That's awful. That that is awful. Okay. if, If you insist on including his abject failure in your account, please do not expect your Jesus movement to last more than one day after release. But look, I tell you what, everything is not lost. Just because we like you and we want you to make some sales, we, we have taken the liberty of a minor rewrite, okay? So you know the bit where you had Peter deny Jesus. What we've, what we've done is we've got him coming up with this very clever trick where he persuades the Sanhedrin to arrest someone else. Now, this is, this is great, because not only does Peter look way, way more competent than he does in your version, um, we then bypass all the denial, which is unpleasant, and we've also managed to get around the crucifixion bit, which, frankly, is just unnecessarily dark and heavy for you know, this kind of writing. And actually, we also get around the you know, dead man coming to life, which, let's face it, is going to be a serious stretch for a lot of people to believe. And so... Really, we've come up with fundamentally a less intense, more positive, and frankly, more believable account, which we think, off the back of that, you are going to get a whole lifetime of speaking engagements throughout the Mediterranean. What do you think? Well, what do you think? What do you think the Apostle John would have said to that first fictitious century literary agent. What might he have said? He might have said, Peter stays in as he is because that's what happened. 
I think one of the most powerful arguments for the reliability of the gospel accounts is that they contain so much information that if you were trying to make it up, you just wouldn't put that stuff in there. It's a massive own goal. Stuff like the story of Peter that, frankly, would have been an enormous embarrassment to the early church. It's included because it happened. There's no other good reason for it to be there. But more than that, I think John might have said, Peter stays in because that's the whole point of the story. Peter stays in as he is because that's how the story works. And that's what I'd like to just take a moment to consider with you this morning. We're going to break down this passage into two character portraits, the man in the garden and the man in the courtyard. And as we're going to do so, we're going to see two men side by side. And I'm praying that we will discover or rediscover something of the wonder of this Jesus who gave his life for the Peters of the world like you and me. So, Jesus, first of all, the man in the garden. Chapter 18, verse 1. If you've got a Bible in front of you, if you've got it on your phone, you'll be helped to follow it along. John, chapter 18, verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. So the first thing that we understand uh, about this man in the garden, Jesus, is that he is sovereign, that he's in complete control. We see this in verse 4, in his knowledge of what's about to happen. Uh, Judas comes with an attachment of guards, and verse 4 tells us, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. So Jesus knows. But more than just knowing, we have this extraordinary moment where it's like, just for, for a tiny second, the veil is pulled back, and we see this glimpse of Jesus' power. So he answers his betrayers, And it says, Jesus says, I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, it's a bit of a strange thing to happen. He's just spoken and then they suddenly all kind of fall over. It's like there's a sort of momentary flash of lightning on a really dark night. Have you ever been there? You can't see anything. And then suddenly for a moment, you see everything. Here for a second are Jesus' betrayers involuntarily falling to the ground before their God, before the light dims again, and they carry on their dark work. So Jesus is sovereign. And notice what Jesus actually says too. He says, I am he. On one level, it's just a straightforward response to his name being called out. But if you've been reading the rest of John's gospel, I am he is is God's name. Jesus is saying, "I I am the great I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. He is sovereign. So he's sovereign. Next, he's sacrificial. Verse verse 7. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they asked. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men, his disciples, go. Right there, in many ways, is the heart of Jesus in miniature. He, he sacrifices. He gives up his rights. So he says, let, let me take it. Let me take it. Let these whom I love go. And when John reminds us of Jesus' words to the Father from the previous chapter, 
We get that picture again. Jesus says, I have not lost one of those you gave me. Jesus is thinking sacrificially. He's there for the benefit of his disciples. We'll say a bit more to that in just a moment. And then finally, the man in the garden is steadfast, sovereign, sacrificial, and steadfast. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. By the way, that's another great eyewitness detail. I wonder whether Malchus was one of the early church, and that's why they knew his name. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So here we see Jesus steadfastly going on. He said many times, I need to be betrayed, suffer, and die. Now, Peter imagines a different playbook for a, different, for a moment. He thinks, you know, perhaps there's another way out here. Uh, perhaps with the strength of my arm, I can spare myself, I can spare my master what's about to happen. But Jesus, far from saying, well done, rebukes him. He said, look, your sword, Peter, is in the way of my mission. I have a mission from the Father. I'm going to drink that cup. That's going to involve suffering, but I am steadfast. I am resolved to go there. Just as an aside, I wonder if that resonates with you, those moments when we've kind of stopped trusting God. We're just afraid, and we get out our sword, as it were, and we try and just hack it out our own way. We start trying to make what we think is God's plan really happen. We'll come back to that moment in in just a second as well. So there is the man in the garden, sovereign, sacrificial, steadfast. Contrast him with the man in the courtyard, the man in the courtyard. So the camera in the story moves. Uh, Verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, and brought Peter in. So here is Peter, the man in the courtyard. And if Jesus was sovereign, sacrificial, steadfast, Peter is powerless, selfish, and volatile. He's powerless. We've already seen that. When Jesus speaks, his enemies fall to the ground. When Peter swipes, all he achieves is the relocation of part of Paul Malchus's ear. That's all he can do. Powerless. But of course, he's not just powerless. He's also selfish. You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? The servant girl asks Peter. Peter is a disciple. But it won't help his chances of survival if he tells anyone right now. So he adjusts his tune. He says, I'm not. Uh, But he's not just out for himself. He's also just volatile. He blows hot and cold. He's constantly adjusting his tune. And so whilst we see Jesus all the way through this this part saying, look, I'm just telling you what I've always told you. You could have picked me up at any time in the temple courts. Peter is reminded of something else in his history. Right at the end, verse 26. Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a cockerel began to crow. And that cockerel crowing reminds us of the moment back in John chapter 13, where Peter had said to Jesus, look, I'm with you to the end. I'm definitely going to lay my life down for you. And Jesus had told him, no, you're going to deny me. Peter is powerless, selfish, and volatile. Now, 
What's the relevance? I guess many of us are so familiar with this story, right? What does it mean? Perhaps it's be less Peter, be more Jesus. Be less Peter, be more Jesus. And it could be. And perhaps, you know, for some of us this week, we've, we've really thought of moments when we were kind of asked the question, oh, you're not with Jesus, are you? And we sort of basically said, no, I'm not. Or at least we tried to hide it. Tried to avoid telling anyone that we'd gone to church on Sunday. Or we saw a Christian in the media and we saw someone about to ask us something like, you're not one of them, are you? And we sort of dodged away. But, you know, I think there's more going on in this story than that. All the way through, there are clues everywhere. It's not just that the man in the garden is let down by the man in the courtyard. The man in the garden is actually giving himself for the man in the courtyard. Or to put it another way, it's precisely because the man in the courtyard, Peter, it's precisely because he's so powerless, so selfish, so volatile, that Jesus presses ahead sovereignly, sacrificially and steadfastly. So as we wrap up, let's just focus on a couple of details we've missed out. Verse 14 is a very strange moment. We get told that Caiaphas, the high priest, had advised the Jewish leaders before that it would be good if one man died for the people. Someone right at the top of the tree, quite a long way away from Jesus, had apparently had this conversation in the echelons of power. It would be good if one man died for the people. Now, Caiaphas said more than he knew, probably. Perhaps he thought that getting rid of Jesus would kind of calm the storms of popular uprising. It'd be good for the people in that way. But actually, Jesus' death would offer eternal rescue for the people. And not just them, right? They're everyone, all people of all time. And that's why, instead of wishing Peter had done away with his sword, Jesus said, no, look, I've got to keep going. Put it away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus was absolutely resolved to drink the cup. What does that mean? Well, if you read your Old Testament, um, the prophet Isaiah talked about how God had, had given the people the cup of his wrath to drink, the cup of his judgment. And now Jesus says, I am going to drink the cup. The innocent son is going to go to the cross and experience the hatred and condemnation of God for all the people's sin. And he's going to do it not because he's some poor third-party accessory. Willingly. This is God himself. He's going to do it because he must for the sake of all the Peters. So let's get back to where we started I asked this question, could we change the story? And I imagined what the Apostle John would have said to that. Should the story of Peter be edited out? Not at all. In fact, his story is the whole reason for Jesus' mission in the first place. And more than that, I want to say to you this morning, Peter's story is our story. It's the story of every one of us. I wonder when you read that story, do you connect with that yourself? Can you identify, are there moments in your life when you've been thrashing around ineffectively with a sword of your own making, trying to get your life sorted apart from God? 
Can you think of times when you've acted for yourself alone, your own interests alone? Can you think of times when your loyalty has flip-flopped between God and yourself according to circumstances? I know that's my life. I am Peter. I think it's every one of us. So perhaps I can ask you this morning, perhaps it's a question that you've asked yourself many times. It may be the very first time that you've heard it. Is this your story? Do you recognize Peter in yourself? Do you know Jesus who saves the Peters of this world? Perhaps today um, you, you recognize, perhaps even for the first time, actually, yeah, that is me. I am, I am Peter. Now, that's a great first step. That's only half the step, right? Because just identifying as Peter could be just very tragic and just very disappointing, and you just walk away very crestfallen. There's more to it here. Because if you recognize yourself in Peter, do you know that Jesus saves the Peters of this world? He really came to sort them out. Perhaps there are some here today who are like, I don't need to be reminded that I'm Peter. I've, 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 I've grasped that a long time ago. I need some hope. Give me some positivity. Well, perhaps today is the day to realize that Jesus came for you. In the same way that he went to the cross for Peter, he went to the cross for you. To drink the cup of God's wrath for you. To take all the suffering, all the punishment of your sin that there might ever be in himself so that you wouldn't have to. Perhaps today is actually the day for you to acknowledge that, to accept that for the first time. To, to commit yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for your grace, your forgiveness to me. I want to believe in it and accept it today. If that's where you are, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. Come and join us over at the, the prayer ministry if you'd like to speak to someone uh, when we do prayer ministry after uh, the service. Is this your story? Now, I know for many people here, you would say, yes, absolutely. This is my story. I, I know this. And I can see myself in it. Well, then my question to you is, can you share this story? Can you share this story? We are approaching Easter. And uh, I would love to encourage you to have Easter hope. Okay? And this is what I mean by that. I would love you to have hope in Easter, right? I, want, I, I hope that everyone in our church family can use this season to recover what the amazing wonder of the crucifixion for themselves. God has forgiven me through the cross. That's wonderful. He's given me new life in the resurrection. I hope you get hope in Easter, the hope of Easter. But we're not there yet, and I'd like you to think about hope for Easter. Who do you pray for? Who do you hope would join you in knowing that message. You know, Easter is an easy invite. It's a season everyone knows about it. It's a time when lots of people are thinking about the basics of the Christian faith. Who do you hope you might be able to share your faith with this Easter? And perhaps you can be praying about that in the weeks that come. Now, perhaps an invitation to church is just, that's, that's too much. Perhaps you can sit down with someone and take the same passage that we've just looked at today and say, I'd love to share this with you. I'd love to explain to you how Peter is me 
and actually, it might be you too in this story. Or there are many other ways. Perhaps you could share a book with someone about uh, the accounts of Easter. Can you share this story? Well, as we close, a reminder. Two men. The man in the garden, the man in the courtyard. The man in the garden, sovereign, sacrificial, uh, and steadfast. And Peter there. He was uh, volatile. He, he was changeable, selfish. But Christ came for him. And that's why the story stays as it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing, amazing presentation of the story of Easter. We pray that you would help each one of us this morning to find our place in it. We pray for anyone struggling to see that this good news of Christ achieving our forgiveness could be for them. We pray that each of us would feel able to receive the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. And then, Lord, we pray that you would give us a hope for this Easter to share this story. That this story may not just finish with us, but the story of Christ dying for sinners would be something that we can share again and again and again with those whom we love and those who live around us in the coming weeks and months. And as a church, we are praying for revival. We long for this place to be a place of spiritual awakening in which the glorious resurrection, the cross and resurrection of Jesus ring loud in the hearts and lives of not only ourselves, but many people who are not here this morning. And so we pray that you would bring this about and help us see our place in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.